sad but true that we clergy types are just like everybody else, except probably worse. And one of the ways that we show that is by putting our names on things, like Rutherford Hall. Or, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not good enough to get a whole building named after me, maybe the Rutherford Room. That kind of stings, doesn't it? Yeah. But the one that we do the most is put our names on the sign out in front of the church. I have a friend, I have a priest friend who went to serve a church because his name was Mark and it was St. Mark's Church. So his name is on everything. Now I hope you notice what's on our signs out here. Church of the Messiah, phone number, service time, website, something helpful. My name is not there. And I've been meaning to talk to you about that too. Just kidding. Just kidding. My name is not on the signs because Tom Rutherford, minister, would be a lie. You see, I am not the minister of this parish family. Yes, I'm the rector and I'm one of the few ordained people, but that doesn't make me the minister. I'm only one of about 500 ministers in this parish family because every one of us is a minister or is called to be. Now, in the back of the Book of Common Prayer, is an outline of the faith commonly called the Catechism. And if you want to know what we believe about anything, that's the place to start. It's a series of questions and answers about God and humanity and eternity and the church and all of that sort of stuff. And it'll answer all those questions. So if a sermon ever starts to get a little boring, you can turn to the back of the prayer book and start reading the Catechism. Now, I know that never happens when I'm up here, but just in case somebody else is, and they go, I don't want you wasting your time doing nothing. But on page 855 of the Catechism, there's a section headed called the, the Ministry. And the first question is, who are the ministers of the church? And the answer is, the ministers of the church are laypersons, bishops, priests, and deacons. Now, notice the order of that list. It goes from most important to least important. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> and who comes first? Laypersons, laypersons, that's you, because you are the most important, the most effective, the most powerful, prominent, and per pervasive ministries in this parish, because unlike us clergy, you're everywhere. You're in the neighborhoods, you're in your homes, you're at your workplace, you're at schools, you're out in the, in the, in the stores and in the community, you're everywhere representing the Messiah and his family. And you're everywhere all the time while I have a hard time sometimes being in one place at one time. And you reach thousands of more people than we clergy do because there are hundreds more of you than there are of us. And you are in places that we'll never go and interacting with people that we may never even meet. Now we could put the names of all of our church ministers on our signs out front, but they would have to be much bigger signs. Because God calls each of us to be a minister. Which doesn't mean you have to go to seminary and wear, wear funny clothes. God calls you to be a minister where you are and as you are. And that's what Paul is talking about today in his letter to his friends in Ephesus. In chapter 4, verse 7, he writes, To each one of us, grace is given as Christ apportioned it. God our Father reaches out to each of us in love. And he gives us gifts and talents and abilities. And he invites us into his family. And when we say yes, when we say yes to that invitation, he calls us his children. That's grace. But merely being in the Messiah family is not the end of the call. You see, like any good dad, 
our Father expects each of us, His children, to play some kind of role in the family and to have some kind of function and to use the gifts and the talents that He's given us to serve Him and our neighbors and each other. Paul lists how to do that. In verse 11, he writes, It was Jesus Himself who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, most of us look at that list and we think, I'm off the hook because I'm not any of those. But that's not true. Because each of us is at least one of those. It's just that for centuries, we clergy have selfishly hoarded so much of the ministry that most of you don't even realize or recognize that you are ministers and what kind of ministers you are. So let's define the terms. Apostles. Apostles are not just the first 12. Apostles are anyone sent to start something. What makes them apostles was that they started stuff. They were like burning embers, blowing in a wildfire. And everywhere they landed, they started a new fire with new people in a new church. Apostles start things. Carrie Weatherington is an apostle. Four years ago, she felt called by God to start Messiah Academy, and now our parish family has that ministry to special needs children. Jeremy and Galena Adams are apostles. They're working musicians with a vision to help people glorify God through music, drama, dance, and visual arts. And over the next year, they're going to be launching the Messiah School for the Arts, the swing dance class we had a couple of weeks ago, and the painting group that's coming up. That's first fruits of that school. You see, some of us are apostles, and God is nudging us to start something for Him, whether it's in our own home with our family, a new group in this parish family, or something out in the community. And the great news is, this church will help you make that happen. If you have an idea for a new project for God, you might be an apostle. And please pitch your idea to one of our vestry or one of our staff and we will pray with you and we will see how we can help get that started. Jesus gives some to be apostles and some to be prophets. Prophets are not just folks in the Bible like Elisha that we heard about last week or Moses that we heard about this week. Prophets are people with a message from God. Now sometimes that message is encouragement and comfort and other times that message is is how something is wrong and how we need to improve it. Now this doesn't mean that everyone who complains is a prophet from God. Some people just like to complain. It does mean that some of us have eyes to see things, uh, ways that our parish family could improve how we love God and our neighbors and each other. Patty Tate is a prophet. She lets me know from time to time where we're falling down on our job and how we serve our community. But when she does that, she always does it with love and helpful suggestions for how to do better, and she always volunteers to be part of how to make that better. So if you notice something wrong about how we do what we do in this parish family, and you're willing to be a part of the solution to make it better and not just a complainer, you might be a prophet. And please talk to someone on vestry or staff and we will pray with you and listen to God to see how we can do that thing better. Jesus gives some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists. Evangelists are not just Billy Graham who filled stadiums with people and led them to Jesus. The word evangelist means a messenger with good news. 
a guy on your front doorstep with a check for a million dollars because you won the lottery would be an evangelist. But our good news is even better than the lottery because A, it's tax-free, and B, it lasts forever. And you know, you can just fritter away a million dollars. Tom and Doreen Stakowski and the folks who serve lunches at the Christian Service Center on Wednesdays are evangelists. They share the good news of God by offering hungry people a hot meal. The same goes for our folks who work with Habitat for Humanity, who volunteer in school classrooms, who go on our summer mission trips, who help neighbors in need, who invite people to come and experience God's love here in this parish family, or any of us who introduce ourselves to someone we don't know during the piece. Because the good news that Evangelist shares is, God loves you and I'll try. God loves you and I'll try. So if you're concerned about people in need, especially those who are not yet in God's family, you might be an evangelist. And if you have a heart for people that nobody else seems to be reaching, please come talk to somebody on our staff or vestry, and let's pray and see how we can share good news with those folks that are not yet hearing it. Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors. Pastors are not just folks like me and Tracy who wear funny clothes. Pastor simply means shepherd. A pastor is anyone who cares for sheep in any kind of flock. Jill Brown is a pastor. She cares deeply for people. She checks up on them when they're in need. She takes communion to folks who can't make it to church. She comforts people who have suffered a loss in our Through the Valley of Shadow of Death grief group in the spring and fall. And Jill is not the only one. Because every parent is a pastor to their children. Every school teacher is a pastor to their students. And each of us has the opportunity to be a pastor every week as we take care of each other and help each other not get lost or stray away. Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Teachers are not just the faculty in the school. A teacher is anyone who helps anyone else learn skills of life and love. And whether they do it with thousands of people in a TED Talk, or they do it with one person in their own home. Now some of us are good at passing on life lessons. And God wants us to share what we know with people who want to learn it. And if you're a teacher, or you would like to be, we have opportunities for you to do that. And please talk to children's minister Angela Lopez or youth minister Janie Walton or Mother Tracy or myself. And we'll match you up with some folks who want to learn what you already know. So apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, do you notice that you don't have to be ordained to do any of those? Which means that any of us can do any of those as we're gifted. Now, none of us is good at all five of them, but every one of us is good at at least one of them. And God calls us to recognize the gifts He's generously giving us so that we can share them generously with others, and that helps equip God's people for works of service. You see, Tracy's and my job as rectors is not to do all the ministry around here, that would guarantee that people would fall through the cracks. 
because there's too many of us with too many needs for only two of us to be able to cover them all. Our job, our job is to equip people, that would be you, for works of service to help each of us find our place in the family and use our abilities for God and each other. That's the only way that each of us is going to get the love and the care that we need. So as each of us learns our part and starts doing it, the body of Christ is built up and we will all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of God and become mature, attaining to the fullness of Christ. You see, as we work together as a family, God will draw and grow us together as a family. Dysfunctional families have only one or two people who do all the work. But when each member of a family has a function and fulfills it, the whole family benefits and is healthier. And each member learns lessons of life and love so that we are no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of blessing. And one of those life lessons that we learn together is how to get along with each other. And Paul tells us how. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love. You see, some of us speak truth no matter how much it hurts people. And others of us try to love so much that we ignore the truth about each other's behavior or attitudes or the differences between us. And neither of those is healthy. God wants us to do both. To speak the truth in love. And to work toward agreement with each other, even if it's merely to agree to disagree. But as we learn to speak the truth in love with each other, then we will grow up in Him who is the head, that is Christ, and each of us will become all that God created us to be. Paul concludes, From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its part. And those last six words are the key. As each part does its part, that's what makes a body healthy. If part of your body quits working, that's not health. If part of our body of Christ quits working and does not fulfill its function, then the whole body is not as healthy as it could be. That's what makes a body healthy and that's why we do the Messiah's Way every September. To give each of us the chance to listen to God, to discern, okay, God, what's the part you want me to play this next year? So that we can volunteer to do that for a year. Now, I thank God and I thank you that most of us do our part. Which means I'm not the only minister here. We are the ministers here. And as each of us does our part... That's how each of us grows into the person that God has called us to be as an individual. That's how our parish family will grow into be all whom God has called us to be together. And that's how we're going to change the world. One child, one person, one family, one community at a time.